I can live to the fullest. I can do the things that I want. I can have the conversations. And when I'm sitting on the floor playing with my grandchild or my child, I can be in the moment because at the back of my mind is not, what is my death going to be? How much suffering am I going to have to take? It's that that palliative effect of relieving the anxiety and the fear and the worry and being able to live in the moment. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Melissa Stacy. She's a passionate advocate for people to experience all of the options that they may want at the end of their life. Officially, she's with a 501c3 and a 501c4. What? She's raising awareness around this critical topic of how to end your life. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to be here. So tell me about your passion. Share with us. Why are you doing this? This is a topic that's really close to my heart, and I'm really excited to talk about it. For me, I come from 18 years with the American Cancer Society and focusing on, you know, ensuring that people have access to quality, affordable health care. And moving uh, a few years ago into this space to me seemed like a natural progression. Most people don't have a plan for how they're going to die. Most people don't want to think about it. I didn't think about it much, right? Even though I'm surrounded by it, we're all focused on what is our next thing and no one really wants to think about the fact that death is there and we're all going to experience it. And I think once you have that experience, you realize, oh, I need to wake up and pay pay a little bit more attention to this and be a little more intentional. And so for, for me um, personally, I've seen death, I've seen good death, and I've seen bad death. And when I was looking at making this transition from the Cancer Society to Compassion and Choices and Compassion and Choices Action Network, I had some really intentional conversations with a family member and a a close friend of mine. She is the mom of two beautiful children who are both in high school, one's graduating in June. She's been living with cancer for 10 years now, at least. And she knows that eventually treatments are not going to work. And she wants to be able to have the death that she wants. And she wants the option of medical aid and dying. And we've talked a lot about that and her why and had some pretty deep conversations about making sure that when it's her time, she doesn't have to worry about the pain the mental suffering, the emotional suffering, the spiritual suffering. She can take medication and fall asleep surrounded by her family and her friends. And that is a choice to me that we should all have. We have so many other choices in life and death is is one more really personal piece of our living experience. And we should be able to, to chart that however we choose. Wow. Let me just let that settle in. Obviously, I've had a lot of 
conversations and thoughts about this as I think most people have. Obviously, there are people who are on the fringes of, of both sides, like most things. Others are having conversations to understand it better. However, one of the things that comes to me and in my mind a lot is, is how peaceful it is when your pet says, I got to go, that's it. And how humane that experience is. Yet, tell me about a bad death. Mm. A bad death is, is, is bad. It is someone who may have an illness that is cutting off their airway and they're slowly suffocating to death and mm. knowing that eventually there's nothing that's going to help. Uh, a bad death could be the patient who has an advanced form of cancer that's attacking their bones. And, you know, um, talking with one of our close advocates, who's a, a physician, you know, he shared a story of a, a man who had advanced cancer, who was walking into treatment and he was holding him by the arm and the man's arm broke simply oh just my. walking through the door. And he was terminal. He was very close to the end of his life. And so when you're laying in bed and simply laying in bed, your body is crumbling, your bones are crumbling. Um, pain is real. Mental suffering is real. Laying in bed, thinking about this next time that I swallow, is this gonna be the one that I, I'm, I choke on and I'm not gonna be able to come back from. Um, and so what your death and what you define as a good death or a bad death is very personal to you, to me, to each of us, um, and giving the opportunity for us to say, I know I'm dying. I know that I want to be able to drink medication and to fall asleep in my partner's arms or surrounded by my friends and family or both. Um, and no, you know, we all want to die in our sleep. And so this gives you that opportunity to make that choice for you if it's right for you. And within guidelines, there's very strict uh, guidelines around medical aid and dying. Let's talk about that a little bit, because there is a polar, uh, you know, a, a group of folks, whether it's religious or otherwise, that really want to stop this, why? I think there's there's really two different two different fronts and arguments. One is, you know, we've heard a lot from people living with disabilities that they have a very real fear that is based in a long history of abuse and being made to feel less than simply because of who they are or how they were born. And so we know that there's fear in the community. We also know that this law has been around in the US since 97. We have 25 years of data that shows there has been no abuse or coercion around medical aid in dying. However, I think we all need to understand that, that even though logically there's no evidence that fear that feeling of fear is real based on on past atrocities. The other the other side is the religious side and the feeling that, you know, this isn't the natural course of things. I was raised by uh, a Christian preacher's kid. I'm a preacher's kid. Wow. Um, and I feel really strongly that if that is your choice, I respect it. 
I have, you know, some family members that are not necessarily on board with what I do for a living advocating for this. But to me, the spirit of religion that I was raised in is that you let people find their own path and their own own way. And if you don't want that, if you want every last piece of anything that could keep you alive one second longer, great. That is your choice. That should always be your choice. If I am at the end and I know that I'm terminally ill and there is no coming back from this, I simply would like the option to be able to to choose this if I want to at that point. And so that's those are kind of the two the two areas of opposition that come into play with this. But at the end of the day, it really is about personal autonomy because it is not those safeguards that I mentioned that are built into the legislation in the US. Those safeguards are really focused on making sure this is optional for everyone. And so you can choose it or you cannot choose it. That's your your course to chart. So this is so great. And I'm so happy that you're talking with us about this. Um, which states, I guess the better question might be like, which states don't allow this yet, right? It, it's actually which states do, unfortunately. Really? Okay. Only about 22% of the U.S. has access to, to medical aid in dying. And so right now, uh, it's Maine. And this is, I'm going to say, December 12th, 2023. Yeah. This is Maine, New Jersey, Vermont, New Mexico, Montana, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, California, and Hawaii, and then the District of Columbia that allow medical aid in dying. Not Michigan. Not Michigan. Where it all began, right, with Dr. Kevorkian. I remember seeing Dr. Kevorkian in in high school. Now, was he... (laughs) a trailblazer with good intention or was he what they portrayed him as some really evil individual? You know, I think, I think the truth often lies in the middle. Mm. I will say from the work that I do, our focus is not so, so our focus is on people charting that course on their own. So medical aid in dying is not something that's administered by somebody else. One of the key core components is you have to be able to self-administer the medication. Ah. And so that is a big difference. Even, um, you know, talking about pets, we euthanize animals because we're the ones that have that technology. Medical aid in dying is not euthanasia. Um, Patients have to be there, there's some key components in order to be eligible, but one of one of the underscoring one is you have to be able to self-ingest the medication. You have to be able to clearly indicate that you want this choice. So capacity. Uh, capacity is a key component. You have to be terminally ill. Uh, so have a life-limiting illness and a prognosis of six months or less to live which is the standard for hospice. Um, Now people will say, you know, doctors don't always know, you know, when people are gonna die, there's no crystal ball. And that is true. In fact, physicians usually overestimate the time people have left because Mm -hmm. no one likes to give bad news. But you know, if you're on hospice and you, you qualify and you meet the criteria and you end up living longer, great. 
people don't get this medication and self-ingest the same day. They get it because they want to live, but they also want the peace of mind that comes with knowing how their death is going to be and, and alleviating that fear. So a couple of questions that I had were, um, you know, what happens when that person misses that opportunity to self-ingest with the capacity? Maybe they go into a, a operation, maybe they go into an operation that they thought might be successful and isn't. They don't have the option of doing this unless they can self-medicate, right? If they can take it themselves voluntarily. Exactly. With their hands, like how does what happens in that the situation where you lose your ambulatory abilities? No, so that's a that's a really good question. So it is an ingestion, which is uh, into the digestive tract. So there's really three ways. The primary one that we see usually is through swallowing. It can be loaded into a feeding tube, and then there's also an enema option. Um, in all three cases, the patient has to be the one. The individual has to be the one that in ingests. And so, if um, you know, it's, if they're swallowing and it's in liquid, it usually is mixed with about three, four ounces of liquid. The caregiver can mix it for them. They can hold the cup, but the patient or help the patient hold the cup, but the patient has to swallow. It's not something that can be done for them. They usually through a straw or from the glass. If it's put into a feeding tube, the patient has to push the plunger on the feeding tube and the same with the enema. It has to be a self ingested um, that really is that final act and so yes to your point and we we unfortunately do see this because people kind of wait to the last minute to go through the process of requesting it because um, again people don't want to think about the fact mm -hmm. right that they're dying um and so if someone gets to a point where you know on a Tuesday, they start the process of medical aid and dying, and the following Tuesday, they're not through it, um, process of requesting the medication, and they're not through it, and they can no longer swallow, or they, you know, slip into some type of uh, coma, the process stops, it ends, right. they don't have that option anymore. So it sounds like it's really well written legislation. Are is the raising of the awareness, is this bringing this to legislature, is there a uniform statute that is out there that's being utilized in multiple states? There is. We have uh, Compassion and Choices has model legislation that we utilize. Um, and obviously, every state is different and there's different statutory language, but we provide that information and we talk through the reasons why uh, in a state like um, Massachusetts. There's an additional provision that is currently, again, you know, December 12th, 2023, we're working on passing this through the legislative process in Massachusetts. And, and there's an additional um, piece in there requiring a mental health evaluation. Mm. And it's really just to ensure that the patient understands the process and that confirm that they are capable of making this decision. Other states, I think Hawaii is the only other state that currently has that provision. So it's like a enhanced capacity requirement. That's really interesting. And I can see Massachusetts having that add in. So how is that process when you, Melissa, are tasked with identifying the legislative member who's going to run with this and help that person gain awareness, understanding, and the support they need to 
then get it passed. It's a heavy lift. It's a heavy lift. It's a multiple year lift. This is not legislation that is that is quick. We are really fortunate um, around the country, and I'm going to talk Massachusetts specific, to have some really incredibly passionate legislators who are very focused on moving this forward and have been for years. Um, and it's supporting them and, you know, doing things like legislative briefings to help them educate their peers and to ensure that they have up-to-date information. So as news articles come out, as more and more data is prepared from the states that have authorized and is available, we share that with them and having those intentional conversations around, you know, who do we need to talk to? What news articles can we get out there to raise awareness? Because passing legislation is, is about informing legislators about what you know they need to know and the safe pieces in it as well as keeping the issue relevant and letting them know that well this legislation impacts a small amount of people we know right not everyone that is dying is terminally ill um or not everyone that dies is is terminally ill and not everyone that is terminally ill is going to want this option and so it's a small subgroup of people but communicating with them, sharing the personal stories of patients in Massachusetts who want this option and know that their death is going to be painful without it, that that unless there is some type of intervention, they are going to have incredible suffering in their last weeks and days um, and giving them this choice and sharing those stories with the legislature um, and then keeping it relevant letting them know that this is this is urgent. There are people dying now um, that would have wanted this option and, and couldn't have it. So again, reminder, folks, December 12th, 2023, we're talking here about this. If you're hearing this close to that period of time and inquisitive, who are some of the legislative members who are putting this forth? Where is it procedurally? House, Senate? So it's in the Joint Committee on Public Health right now. Um, our It's the first committee of jurisdiction. We had a hearing in October of 2023, and we're waiting for the bill to move. It has come out of committee um, positively the last two sessions. So we're anticipating the same, although probably not until after the first of the year. Our We have some really strong supporters. Our lead Senate supporter is Senator Joe Comerford from Western Mass. And then she is supported by Senator Will Brownsberger and Senator Sue Moran and Senator Julian Sear and a number of others, but that's kind of their core Senate group focused on this. And then on the House side, the effort is led by leader Jim O'Day, um, as well as Representative Ted Phillips. And Representative Phillips, I always like to give a shout out to because he literally wrote the law. He worked uh, as the chief of staff for Representative Lou Kafka when this legislation was first filed back in 2008. And he literally took the um, the information, wrote the bill, put it into statute, and has been a huge supporter and champion along the way, and then became a, um, a legislator himself a couple of sessions ago. And so it's really strong. And this is the same bill that you're using in other states? It is. It is nice. uh, versions of it. But yes, yeah. it's the exact same bill. The safeguards, the core safeguards are all the same um, across, across the state. We really wanted to ensure that these were 
well thought out and evidence based proven pieces of legislation all really following the Oregon model. The Oregon model. So it, it really originated out of Oregon. Is Oregon the first state that allowed it? It is. It was uh, passed by ballot initiative in the, the late 90s, went into effect, I believe, in 97. Um, and really, that's where we see a lot of our data and information come out of. Um, 25 years has been a really solid track record um, of utilization within the kind confounds of those safeguards that have really protected vulnerable people. 25 years is a long time with a lot of data and, and a lot of room for error if there was, right? Right, right. Do you see this as a federal thing at some point? Hopefully, that would be really nice. I don't think anytime soon. Right now, there is a federal bill that bans um, support of quote unquote suicide. At the time that the Oregon bill was passed, there was legislation that was pushed through Congress um, that doesn't allow federal funding. And so right now, if you are on Medicare or federally funded Medicaid, neither of those programs will pay for medical aid in dying. Um, because of that legislation, which is something we're actively working to to get repealed. Is it an expensive pharmaceutical? It's not cheap, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's not in line with some of the, you know, the the tier five other pharmaceuticals that are out there. Uh, a lot of private insurance does pay for it. It is a common general common prescription medication. Uh, so it's not like in and of itself, it's its own prescription, uh, but it's a compound. So it's a, a mix of a bunch of different types of medications together. If the family, the friends decided to witness this celebration of passing to the next stage or however it's viewed by the folks that are there, what do they see? What do they witness? They see, I'm so glad you asked this question. They see a family coming together. They see their loved one ingesting usually two prior medications, an anti-nausea medication um, prior to, and then the, the compound is mixed with four ounces of liquid and ingested usually through straw. And then within, I don't know, 20 minutes to an hour, the person falls asleep and is usually gone within two to three hours at the most. There's always, you know, faster and longer, depending because everyone's body reacts a little bit different. If people are interested in, there's an amazing documentary. I don't know if you've heard of this or not. It's called Last Flight Home. Last Flight Home? Last Flight Home. There's Andy Timoner is a independent film maker and her father in California utilized medical aid in dying um, and she documented the whole process, not intending to make a film out of it, but really wanting to capture his last yep. his last weeks. And um, she did an incredible job. Mm. So it's close to two hours and it it really goes through and, and highlights how intentional he was able to be. And then um, the conversations he had with his physicians, the family, all of those pieces and, and his ingestion of the medication and death. 
and how incredibly heartrending, but also beautiful it was. Um, it's funny, he had, which you wouldn't think about with an end of life film, but it's a family that is very clearly close and loving, giving their father the respect to make the decision he wants. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, supporting him in that decision through the end. And it really is. So I highly recommend it. If anyone hasn't seen it, uh, it's it's well worth the watch at any time. The Last Flight Home. Last Flight Home. And I'm sure Thomas will put that in the show notes, a trailer or some indication of how to get to that. If you're on your treadmill or walking your dog, don't freak out and look for a pen right now. We'll get it there. Do we know where to find that, though, typically? We do. There is a YouTube trailer. Cool. And there's also a website, which I'm happy to share so you can share. Um, it's, yeah, it's a really, cool. it's a really great piece. So Thomas will have that in the, uh, the show notes. What I find fascinating about that, and I'm a visual learner for the most part, audible learner as well, which is why I'm so fascinated by podcasts and the ability to absorb so much information right into my ears. Um, and I know that rings true for a lot of people listening to this um, because this is a great great mode of, of, of learning. However, li- visualizing that moment, the 20 minutes of consciousness is really interesting, inspiring, impactful, fill in the, the word there, that moment you can see in any individual sense of whether it's you lying there whether you're looking over somebody, those final moments, because you never really know when those are, right? Other than in that situation and that whoever created that pharmaceutical of allowing that, that peace and grace, that's, that's really special. It is. It's incredibly, it's incredibly special, those moments to be able to sit and be intentional. And I mean, it can be, it could be two minutes, it could be 20 minutes, but even prior to ingesting the medication, just that thoughtful time. This is this mm. is when I'm ready to go. I've said my goodbyes. I've had the conversations that I've wanted to have. And now I'm just surrounded by people I love or just my partner, depending on what I want. And, and I know, and we don't, as you said, we don't have that. Anyone, I mean, I'm fairly healthy in my forties and I don't know. Today could be right. my last day or it could be in 50 years. And so and many people say live like it is your last day, right? But it's very cliche until you really think about this. And that is a wonderful visual of the of the receiver of the medication. Yet I, I can't help but wonder that piece it gives to the people around to them as well to have those final words, to say I love you. I lost my uncle when I was 12 to a massive heart attack. And the last time I saw him was a random encounter on the side of the road. We were driving to the mall to go holiday shopping and he was driving to work and we happened to be on the same highway long before cell phones were a thing. And I didn't know when I gave him a hug that that was going to be the last time I ever had that opportunity because he had a massive heart attack. And to be able to know that and know, you know, how many of us 
end conversations at time with hard words or harsh words or things unsaid? How many times do you think about somebody throughout the day, but don't send them a text or say, hey, I was thinking about you and I love you, right? You have, this gives those people that opportunity to make sure that there aren't things left unsaid. I think the other, the other piece of it is living each day like it's your last, mm. that peace of mind, as you called out, about a third of people who go through this process don't actually use the medication, but they uh. have that peace of mind that comes with knowing I can live intentionally and I can focus on the now in the moment because I'm not worried about what my death will look like. I can live to the fullest. I can do the things that I want. I can have the conversations. And when I'm sitting on the floor playing with my grandchild or my child, I can be in the moment because at the back of my mind is not, what is my death going to be? How much suffering am I going to have to take? It's that, that palliative effect of relieving the anxiety and the fear and the worry and being able to live in the moment. And I believe I was introduced to you by another guest on this podcast who practices that art in a 90 day stretch, right? As a death doula. Yes. Amy um, and her work and taking people through that process and getting them to, to a point and realizing this is what I want. And these are the pieces that need to be said. And I wish more people would walk through that and understand, I think how freeing it can be and realizing what you truly want and what's truly important to you at the end of the day. It's not social media. I can tell you that it's not, uh, little worries and cares that I think we all build up. It's those intentional conversations with our loved ones and making sure that they understand. Yes, I want everything possible or no, just let me let me fall asleep. Let me be. Geez, I wish I spent more time at the office. Geez, I wish I went to that last networking meeting. Yes, uh, Thomas, if you could add that to the show notes, Amy's podcast, for those that are listening to this quick reference to it, it was fascinating, engaging, inspiring, and you definitely want to check that out. That is not a requirement to have a terminal death. That is a requirement to wake up and put two feet on the ground for all those uh, that are interested in that. So, Melissa, this has been really great and um, emotional roller coaster as well as uh, a learning uh, moment for me. And um, how would someone learn more about this? How would someone get in touch with you or your company or your organization or your group or affiliations? What what can they do and how can they connect and and do more? Absolutely. So the best place is to go to compassionandchoices.org. It's all one word. Um, there is information about our end of life planning tools and what we have. We really encourage, in addition to medical aid and dying, we really focus on end of life planning and having those intentional conversations. And there's a lot of great tools that are free that people can 
utilize to have those conversations. Uh, we have an end of life consultation line that you can call and say, hey, I live in this state, what are my options? Or I need to have a conversation with my family and I don't even know where to start. And they're willing, um, and there is a free resource for people. So compassionandchoices.org really is the best place. My email is mstacy at compassionandchoices.org. Um, and that's m-s-t-a-c-y at compassionandchoices.org. Um, so people are welcome to reach out that way. I cover most of New England uh, in the Northeast with a big focus on Massachusetts and Virginia. Uh, however, I'm happy to connect anyone to anything across the country. Um, so yeah, that's how you find us. I love it. And and again, Thomas will add that to the show notes, folks. So you don't have to worry about quickly writing it down, simply get to where you're going and click right through when you're ready. Uh, Melissa and her group of uh folks raising awareness will be ready for you. Uh, Melissa, there's another question that I have to ask that people would be upset. It doesn't, it didn't flow very well into the conversation. However, I know that to, to stay consistent, uh, I will be called on if I don't ask you the question. One of the things we think about here at um, the podcast Elements of Styles is that we're going to bring everyone together who has guested and we're up to a bunch of episodes now. I think we're we're closing in on 200, so we're having a lot of fun with it, but that's that's unique people, 200 unique people who can help one another, raise awareness for each other, support one another, all boats rise with the tide, as they say, and, and bringing them all together. One of the hopes and dreams and aspirations that I have is that we're, we're sitting around a karaoke event. And Melissa, you're up next. What are you singing? Oh, my, one, my, our CEO loves karaoke. She would love this question. I just have to say that. And I have to shout out to her because she loves it. Um, what would she sing? Do you know? Uh, she would sing some type of Broadway show tune. Cool. She loves Broadway. So, I, she, so she's a show off. She's classically trained and she, she ruins karaoke, by the way. Shout out to your CEO because she's she, too good. I, I don't know. I don't know that she would say that, but she's yeah. she loves it. Yes. She absolutely Good loves for her. it. I, um, I am not. I do not have the voice. My my grandmother and my mother's side had it and passed it down to my dad. It skipped <laughs> me. I got my grandmother and my mother's side voice. My song, though, my go to is um, "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me," uh, the Elton John and George Michael version. Uh, Long, that's a great song. It's a great. And it's so appropriate for this conversation and what you're doing and your purpose. It's obvious that you are purpose driven, which I think a lot of people would be envious of if they if they realized that they're not doing what their purpose is. Karaoke songs are very telling. It's really funny. I was listening to the 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 podcast with Amy, and I don't remember what song she chose, but I remember it was right in line, mm. and that really stuck out to me. And similar to me, it was long. But this has been long going before I even came into Compassion and Choices. It's purpose driven. Isn't that amazing? It's just who you are at your core. Yeah, and I would say that for sure. I I felt that talking with Amy for sure. Well, I want to thank you for your time. This has been amazing. I know that uh, the listenership is going to really enjoy this, right? Listeners, learners, whoever you are out there. Um, thank you for listening. This has been an amazing episode of Elements of Styles. If you did think of somebody that this would impact, please share it with them. 
In fact, share it with everyone. Thank you all. Be well. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.